You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Jesus is risen. Indeed. Indeed is an interesting word, isn't it? It means in fact. It means in history. It means something has happened. Indeed. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk about why... As Christians, we can have confidence in the fact of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so I got to thinking about this uh, a couple of years ago, around this time of year, a couple of years ago, I had a conversation with the most unique young man in Australia. This is a young guy, about 30s, um, who was complaining about having a public holiday on Good Friday. So just let that sink in for a second. You might be here this morning thinking, I'm here because it's Easter, but I don't really buy all of this resurrection stuff, this miracle stuff. Well, I just proved you wrong. There's a miracle right there. There's a a guy in Australia in his 30s who is complaining about having a public holiday. And the reason he was doing that was on the grounds of economics. He was saying, why should our nation uh, lose so much money in lost labor and lost commerce because a few illiterate guys 2,000 years ago made up a fairy tale. Why should, why should we suffer because of their imagination? Which is a, a fair question to ask, really, and a question that we really need to come to terms with right now because everyone in this room right now, if he's right and it was a bunch of illiterate guys making up fairy tales, then everyone in this room right now is wasting their time. Right? That's what we're doing. We are actively, willingly wasting our time. And if you're a Christian here this morning, then it means if you're making all of life all about Jesus, then you are wasting all of your life. And you only get one. So this is a big deal. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, if Christ has not been raised, then we should be pitied above all other people. Like people should feel sorry for us more than anyone else in the world because we are wasting our lives if Jesus never rose from the dead. So Paul has no concept of this kind of nominal Christianity when I don't really believe that Jesus is risen, but I still go along. He he, he says, no, if that's what you're doing, wasting time, right? I I know that some people need the church to be a crutch for them or so they can have friends or whatever. I I don't. I I don't. Like, I'm very happy right now to be on the couch in my slippers watching Netflix. Like, that is fine with me if this whole resurrection thing is bogus. So, it's a really good question we need to come to terms with, and that's what I want to do this morning. I want to show you why I think that we can have confidence in the indeedness of Jesus' resurrection, in the fact of Jesus' resurrection. So, if you've been around the last few months since probably about the beginning of February, I think. We've been making our way all the way through Mark's gospel from the first chapter up until the 16th today. And so we've been doing a bit of work on what the gospel is all about, the context in which it's written. And, and most scholars today 
will date the Gospel of Mark at about the mid-50s AD. Mid-50s, all right? Jesus dies, Good Friday happens about mid-30s. So you've got a, a biography of Jesus which contains some astonishing facts about his life, including the fact that he did miracles, healed people, cast out demons, brought people back from the dead, right? Walked on water, calmed the storm, fed 5,000 men with someone's lunch, right? He did all of these things. That, that, that is recorded 20 years after the event. Now, that's really important. That's really important because... Because Mark's gospel is written so close to the events themselves, they are therefore easily verifiable, right? Because if he's writing 20 years after Jesus dies, then there are people around who were around when Jesus was alive. So if Mark comes out with his new, like, his new best-selling book and it hits the shelves and then everyone there is reading complete lies, then that book dies pretty quick, right? It doesn't become the best-selling book in the history of the world. Easily, historically verifiable. Just to put this in context, right? Because we live in a culture where there's a 24-hour news cycle and everything's live tweeted and so everything's immediate. And so you might think, well, 20 years after the fact, that's a pretty long time. Not true. That is astonishingly early in human history. Give you an example. King Arthur. Most scholars, historical scholars, believe King Arthur was a real king. Um, he ruled Britannia. He, he ruled England in about AD 500. The first thing that was written down about his life was written down 400 years after his life. And that's about kind of standard practice in history. So we've got 20 years here. King Arthur's got 400 years. Now, that's great. If you want to make up a myth, if you want to make up a lie, if you want to make up a fairy tale, then it's great to wait about 400 years or at least a lifetime, a generation, right? Because then people aren't there to say, oh, uh, I, I was actually there. This didn't happen, okay? So if you're going to make up a myth, just, just write this down. If you're going to make up a myth, do it after the fact. Do it a good 100, 2, 3, 400 years after the fact, then you'll be able to get get going with it, okay? Don't do it 20 years. Don't do it within a generation. This makes Mark's gospel easily disprovable. Here's a couple of examples of things that, that people could easily say 20 years after the fact, easily say that didn't happen, right? If you read Mark's gospel account of Passion Week... Passion just means suffering, okay? So the, the week during which Jesus suffered and died, he says some crazy things. Like he said, on Good Friday, when Jesus died, he says from 9 o'clock in the morning, very precise, right? From 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, uh, sorry, from midday, beg your pardon, from noon till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So for, he says for three hours, the sun stopped shining, he says, complete darkness blanketed the land. Now, that's the kind of thing where if you claim that happened 20 years down the road from when it actually happened, a lot of people can say, oh, hey, hang on a second. I was there. I would have noticed if the sun went dark for three hours, right? 
That, that's the kind of thing that would be easily historically disprovable. And if it was disprovable, then, as I said, this gospel would never have got off the ground. We wouldn't have it today. It would have been dismissed as a work of fiction. Another thing that happened, he says, when Jesus died, again, not only did the sun go black, he said the curtain in the temple, which was representative of, of the, the kind of barrier between people and God, this curtain in the temple, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, 10 centimetres thick. So not like the frilly curtains you have in your house, like a, a real curtain, like a wall curtain, right? He said that thing was torn in two from top to bottom, 60 feet up, down to the ground. That's not the kind of thing that people kind of just brush over, right? That's either happened or it didn't. Another very public, easily disprovable fact. And Mark says, this really happened. Another thing from our reading this morning, Mark says, and, and remember Mark, Mark is writing this gospel account using Peter as his primary witness. So the content of Peter's preaching and the eyewitness account of Peter himself. Peter was one of Jesus' three best friends. He was with him all throughout. He's, he's, he's just telling John Mark, write this down. This, the, all this crazy stuff happened. We need, to, we need to get this on paper, right? And so, so Mark says, after Jesus dies, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, all right? So a famous guy. You need to think about in this context, in Israel's history, these religious guys, they were like celebrity pastors, right? So they walk through the shopping center and everyone kind of just looks and whispers. That's what these guys are like. A prominent member of the Sanhedrin goes and asks for Jesus' body, takes it, puts it in his own tomb. Now here's the rookie error that Mark makes, if he's making up this story. If this is like my friend said, and it's, and it's a fairy tale, he makes the error of naming someone famous, in his account. Don't do that. Don't know, like make someone up. Say it was Bill the plumber, right? Like don't name someone famous because again, anyone reading this within one generation goes, no, that, that didn't, like his own family say, it doesn't have anything to do with us, right? So all these layers of historicity. It has the, has, this, this account has the aroma of historical fact. There's nothing in here that reads like mythology, like fairy tales. And then the worst thing of all happens, right? If you're trying to write a myth and have people believe it, Mark makes this critical Error. Let's read it together in verse 1 to 4 of chapter 16. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. That's Jesus. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. You got these women, these very ordinary women, just basic women, right? And, and they're so ordinary. Like this, as I said, this doesn't read like a fairy tale. This reads like a, 
just such an ordinary account. The fact that these women were going to anoint Jesus' body, but it's not until they get there that they think, hang on a second, there's a big stone in the way and we're not going to be able to get to him. Now, that's just so normal for, for women who are deeply grieving, right? Who's, their, their hope, their, 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 the biggest hope they've ever had, the man that they deeply loved has just been executed in front of their eyes. They've probably had a sleepless, sleepless night of grieving. They've waited until after the Sabbath so that they can buy spices to go and anoint him. And then it's on the way there that they think, oh, we're not going to be able to get him. It's just so normal. It's just so basic. The error that Mark makes, if he's coming up with a fairy tale that he wants people to believe, the the error that he makes is in the next little bit. So verse 5 and following. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Now, here's the mistake that he makes. Critical error. Who's the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus? Who? Women. Like, come on. If you are trying to write a fairy tale, a myth, and make it believable, don't make the key witnesses women. Women can't be trusted. (laughs) Women can't be trusted. Not in this day. If you're a woman, you cannot testify to anything legally. You, have, you cannot make testimony in a court of law in this day. In fact, in many Muslim countries today, that is still true. In Yemen, they've sort of progressed a little bit. A woman's testimony is worth 50% of a man's testimony. So they're, kind of, they're getting there. But that, it's like if it's he said, she said, he wins. Because women can't be trusted. So why would he make it women unless it really was, you know, women? If this isn't historical fact and he doesn't have a great burden to be historically accurate, then why on earth would he make it women? Women can't be trusted. And yet, in the Christian faith, women have an exceedingly important role to play. When all of the disciples have deserted Jesus at this point, it's the women who remain. It's the women who witness. As the church gets up and running, it's often wealthy women who fund the work of ministry. This is a whole other sermon, but if you want to look into the welfare of women through history, then it is categorically true that the best thing that's ever happened to women and for women's rights is the Christian faith. 
indisputably. So you have these women who become the real cornerstones of this resurrection faith from the very beginning. But if you're going to make it up, don't do that. Here's some more really strong evidence as to why this isn't made up. Hopefully I'm not just flogging you too hard, but there's so much here, right? The the fact that in verse 5 to 6, the young man that the other gospel writers identify as an angel, right, which just means messenger. So God sends messengers into the world to tell people stuff that they wouldn't otherwise know. That's what an angel is. And, and this messenger, this angel, tells them in verse 5 to 6, he says, Jesus isn't here because he is risen. Now, here's the problem with that, if you're trying to make up a lie. The problem with that is that the Jews had no concept of a present-day resurrection. No concept at all. They believed that in the age to come, people would be resurrected, but in the present day, no concept of it. Now, here's the problem. If you're going to make up a lie and have it be believable, you need to have a grain of truth. You need to have something familiar, right? Here's the thing. I've got two kids, which means I hear a lot of fibs, right? You do too. Don't, Don't look at me like I'm a bad parent with bad kids, right? Little kids, Tell fibs. It's part of them exploring their imagination and all that stuff, right? Here's, here's the truth. I've never heard a lie from my kids that contain the core concepts of quantum mechanics. Why? Because they have no concept of that stuff yet, right? They're pretty sharp, but they don't understand any of the core concepts of quantum mechanics, so they don't lie about it. It's the same here. The Jews have no concept of present-day resurrection, so if you're going to make up a lie, it's just not going to be in there. They would have heard this, he has risen and been as astonished as anyone ever has been. It wasn't like they were really well, the, 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 the pump was well primed to receive this lie. They, it would have been shocking. They would have been like, what? No, that happens later, not now. And you say, well, you know, Jesus, we've looked in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus raises people from the dead, Talitha, right, Lazarus. And it's true, he does raise people from the dead, but that's not resurrection. That's resuscitation. You were dead, now you're alive, and then you're going to die again. It's happened a little while ago with India. We were at our, um, our house, and we saw um, in the garden some birds flying around, those little um, honey-eater birds buzzing around everywhere, and then we just heard this bang as one hit the window right, full speed, and it's just lying on the ground, not moving, and um, this was when India was real little, but she went over and said, we need to pray for this bird, so all right, sweetie, you, you go ahead, and so she, just, she was praying, God, I pray that you would heal this bird in Jesus' name, and the thing just woke up and flew away, right, <laughs> like, like that, and But here's the thing, that bird is either going to fly into another window and die or be caught by one of the 10,000 cats that just roam the streets around here, right? Or like it's it's going to die. Same with Lazarus. Lazarus, yep, raised from the dead, beautiful, celebrate, but he's dying sometime soon. And when it happens, I just imagine them all standing around like just poking him and making sure. 
But that's, that's the truth, right? That's not resurrection. That's resuscitation. They have no concept of present day resurrection. Resurrection is this. Jesus rises from the dead and he never dies again. He has a body that cannot decay, that cannot be infected with disease, that cannot experience death. Jesus right now is in paradise with the body that he walked out of the tomb with. And this is the great home for every Christian that we particularly think about on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, is this hope that one day, irrespective of how we died, whether we headbutted a window or died of cancer or got burnt up in a nuclear explosion, right? No matter how we died, God is going to give us resurrection bodies that can never decay. That is the hope of eternal life. That's the gift. You get to live forever, and it's a body, in, in embodied existence. Jesus is our forerunner. We look to him and say, that's what I want. That's what I'm going to get. And yet these guys have no concept of that, and so the lie simply doesn't get off the ground unless it's true. Some more evidence here, right? This is the last thing I'll talk about. He says to the women, go and tell, he says, don't be alarmed and go and tell the disciples and Peter. They are alarmed and they don't go and tell the disciples and Peter. That's how shaken up they are, right? That's how much this has just blown their minds. The disciples and Peter. Peter probably mentioned there because he's the leader of the disciples and he's giving this testimony the disciples and Peter. Who is Peter? He's the guy that just, just a couple of days ago denied Jesus three times, completely disowned him, called down curses, emphatically saying, I don't know that guy. There's a great little book. Let me get a plug in. There's a great little book about that whole thing, Peter's denial of Jesus and his forgiveness of Peter um, called The Friend Who Forgives. And we've been reading it with our kids this week. It's really good. The friend who forgives. All right, so, but that's Peter. He's just denied Jesus three times. There's the rest of the disciples who had just fled, scattered, disowned Jesus. Right, when it really comes down to it and Jesus gets led away, arrested, they scatter. There's one guy who runs through the forest naked when this happens. Mark's the only one who talks about it, so scholars think it's probably Mark himself, John Mark, who wasn't one of the disciples, but probably heard the commotion, came out of bed in his nightgown, and then ended up dropping it and running off into the forest. This is what's happening. The women are with Jesus. The men scatter. And we've been prone to do the same thing ever since. So what gives? Like, why? Why? What, what has happened? What changes that the state of the game to turn these cowards into the same men who start the greatest revolution that there ever has been? Something, something happened, right? You, that doesn't just happen overnight for no reason. The question is, what has happened? My friend thinks a really good fairy tale was made up, and that's what started the greatest revolution that's ever happened. I want to say something more profound happened 
There's a biblical scholar, a skeptic, an atheist called Bart Ehrman, and this is what he wrote about this. He says, finally, we know that after his death, his followers experienced what they described as the resurrection, the appearance of a living but transformed person who had actually died. They believed this, they lived it, and they died for it. So that's coming from a skeptic who who just acknowledges the fact that something has happened here. Now, I'm a massive liar, just like you guys, right? Massive liar. I can't think of a single lie that I've ever told that I would be willing to die for. Can you think of one? Like, I would rather die than let go of this lie. That's what we're saying about the disciples. Only John out of all of the disciples, escapes death and lives to an old age. All the rest of them are brutally murdered, many of them crucified. Excruciating is a word we describe, for, we, we, we use to describe great pain. It literally means out of the cross, right? We had to come up with a new word to describe how painful it is to be crucified. Some of them had their skin peeled off them while they were yet living, right? These are the kinds of things you have to be committed to to keep the lie going. I mean, come on. So, in the face of all of this stuff that I've been talking about, all of this, I think, really strong historical evidence for the fact, the deed of the resurrection of Jesus, there are those who want to come up with alternative theories. And there have always been these people, right back to Matthew 28, where, where Matthew talks about the fact that the Roman guards were saying, well, someone stole the body. I mean, sorry, the uh, Jews were saying, someone stole the body, that's why we can't find him, right? We'll talk about that in a second. But, but really, from the beginning, from the very first day of the resurrection, people have been coming up with all alternative ways of explaining what happened. And I get that because people don't rise from the dead, all right? So just if we're going to be reasonable, we need to come up with alternatives to that. I think the alternatives are less reasonable than the fact. But here we go. Let's, let's talk about a couple. First of all, there's the swoon theory. This is a theory that Jesus on the cross pretended to die, right? And, and so give us some context. He's been flogged. Many people died at the flogging. The Romans were the world-class experts at torture. They would have this flagellation where you'd have this cat of nine tails, right? Like, it's like a whip, but it's not like a whip like you had in drama class. It's a whip with bits of bone woven into the ends of the thongs so that when you whip someone, it grabs their flesh and rips it out with it, right? That, that kind of flogging. That's why people died before they ever got to the cross. But Jesus survives that. He makes it to the cross. He has his, some vital arteries and tendons pierced by nails in his wrists and in his feet. He suffers a slow asphyxiation, excruciating pain, as I said. And then, just to cap it off, a guy plunges a spear through his side into his heart cavity, 
blood and water come out because fluid had started to gather in that heart sack. So all of that happened. Oh, and then he was laid in a tomb for three days, but just over those three days, he kind of just got better. That's the theory. Popped a few Panadol. I'm back. So there's that. Then there's the mass hallucination theory, right? That all of these people who think they saw Jesus risen from the dead and then so therefore died for the sake of it, they were convinced in their own minds because they had this mass hallucination. And, and yes, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus appeared to over, 15, uh, over 500 men. And he says some of whom are still alive if you want to go check it out with them. But all of those people had the same hallucination, which is hard to believe. In fact, there's no category in psychology for mass hallucination. Like lots of people can hallucinate, but they're not seeing the same thing, right? Someone seeing a risen Jesus, someone seeing a dancing goat, someone like, it's, it varies. They're not all saying, we saw the same thing. So it doesn't have a whole lot of, whole lot of legs. I'm not giving you the funny ones, I'm giving you the real alternatives, all right? So, there's the stolen body theory, as I say. This, this got up on the first day. Matthew talks about it in Matthew 28. The Jews are like, all right, he's not there. All we have to do to disprove Christianity is bring out the body. We can't find it. So here's, here's what we're going to say. Someone stole the body. The problem with that is that we know that the tomb of Jesus was guarded by Roman soldiers who would pay with their lives if anyone got past them to steal the body. So you can see these three or four women going up to them and clubbing them with a sack of quarters or something. I don't, I don't handbags. I, it's just, it's not going to happen. Some people say, well, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Right? That would explain everything. They, they, they went to the wrong tomb. And it was empty because it was the wrong one. I don't know how many of you the day after the event would forget the location of your best friend's grave. I'm thinking probably not many. I know, like one of the last things that will seep from my memory before I succumb to Alzheimer's, right? The last thing that I'll forget is the location of my mum's grave. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to forget that. She's buried in... St. Helena, I'm not going to turn up in Heidelberg and think, ah, oh, wrong place. It's just not, it just, I mean, it's just, just think logically about this stuff. It's just not going to happen. My favorite one, though, best till last. You know, all the best books were written in the 70s, right? And here is one of the best. I've got a picture of it for you. I didn't make this up, didn't Photoshop it. This is a book, John M. L. Grow. You can look it up. The sacred mushroom and the cross. His theory is that Jesus Christ was the name of a kind of mushroom and all of the disciples were tripping on magic mushrooms. And that's how they came up with the resurrection thing. This is a legitimate theory. So it's up to you, but I think the evidence for is stronger than the evidence against. And I'm encouraging you to think about this rationally. 
No leaps of faith in Christianity. Yes, we must exercise faith in order to believe the facts, and that is a gift that God gives each one of us. But Christianity really is a reasonable faith. This is the thing that stands out about Christianity. We want you to come in and look around. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian, you don't yet believe in miracles, certainly not the greatest miracle of Jesus' resurrection, then our response to that is, okay, come in, have a look around, dig deep, go through our stuff. We're open for inspection. We've got nothing to hide. The question is, where does all this leave us? Right, if what I've been talking about is true, where does it leave us 2,000 years after the fact? I love this quote from N.T. Wright, who's an Oxford-educated scholar. He says, These three great facts, the resurrection appearances, the empty tomb, and the origin of the Christian faith, all point unavoidably to one conclusion, the resurrection of Jesus. Today, the rational man or woman can hardly be blamed if he believes that on that first Easter morning, a divine miracle occurred. That's what we're left with here this morning. We have to come to terms with Jesus on that first Easter Sunday. And I want to encourage every one of us here because I think Australians are prone to ambiguity to indifference, right? I'm not going to make a choice between those two things. I'm just going to be like, well, whatever. I want to encourage us to actually have the courage to make a decision about this. Either Jesus really is the risen and reigning Lord of history and therefore every one of us should fall down on our faces before him or this is a complete waste of our time. You have to make the choice. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then we love the fact that you're here with us. And we would love to be able to talk to you about why it is that we have gone with risen, reigning Lord and not complete waste of time. In a minute, I'm going to ask us to stand up and sing. And the reason we do that is because we really believe that he is the risen and reigning Lord. And so he's worthy of all our praise. We can hardly help but sing because of that great and beautiful truth. But if that's not true for you, don't stand up and sing. That would be silly. Maybe instead, come down the front here. We're going to have some people here who would love to just chat with you. Come down and say, this is something that I need to be wrestling with and maybe we can connect with you and talk about this further. That's really one of the big reasons we're here in the first place, if we're not wasting our time. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, said this beautiful thing. He says, he says ask, seek, knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He's inviting everyone here this morning to search and to discover. Let me pray for us.
Oh, our Lord Jesus, we believe that you are the risen and reigning Lord of history. And so we come before you now as people who honour you, who want to serve you, and most importantly, who love you and who are loved by you. And on this great Resurrection Sunday, we just reaffirm our trust, our faith in your resurrection, and we look once more and yearn for our own resurrection. And I pray for my friends here today who aren't there yet. And I pray, Lord, that they would Lord, that they would knock. That they would seek. That they would ask. And that you would reveal yourself to them, even now. Father, this is the day that changed the world and I pray that even now our lives will be changed forever as a result. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.